0: Well, what is up, Bridgewater? Good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. We're excited to be able just to worship God with you and to be able to take some time in God's Word. I want to take a couple minutes and talk with you about a couple things that are a little bit outside of what we're going to be teaching today. Hey, thank you, my lovely, lovely assistant here. Thank you so much. Give her a round of applause, right? Woo! Yes! So there's a couple of big things that are going on for Bridgewater that I want to take a couple of minutes and talk with you about. First and foremost, um, if you've been around at all, you've heard of this thing that we do called "Be the Church Sunday." And if you've never done it before, it is awesome. Now I haven't been here for it, but we've done it in, in previous places that, that uh, we've served, and I can't wait to be a part of it with you this coming week. So next Sunday. You still need to be here at the same time. You you need to be here by by 11 a.m. I'm just checking. Just just wanted to see if you guys are, you know, even even listening to me anymore. It's fine. Yeah, 10 a.m. Next Sunday, 10 a.m., we're going to gather here, and we're going to go out into the community. There's a bunch of stuff that we're going to be able to do. We're going to be able to go out and uh, do some mowing for people. We're going to be able to go out and clean up some of the parks in our communities. I just got a card turned in. If any you, of you took those cards last week and talked to a neighbor, bring them back to me if you got something. I just got a card today. Um... Yeah, I can't even remember the name of the gentleman on the card, but it's, it's a neighbor of, uh, one of one of our people here, and we're going to be able to go in and help, you know, do some cleaning around their house. Just be a blessing to, a, I believe, a 90-year-old man, right, Tom? About 87, so uh, that we're going to say that's close enough. Uh, yeah, so um, we're going to be able to go in and be a blessing to people here in our community. So I hope you will choose to join us. Again, um, you just show up here. And we'll be able to give you directions from there. If you have any of those orange, don't just go to church shirts. I see a couple people wearing them today. Bring it. If you don't, I believe we will have them for you. If I'm wrong, you can just blame me and we'll go from there. So I don't know, okay? So plan on that next week. It's going to be a good time. Second of all, wow, five salvations. Did you guys hear that? Right? Right? If you're new to Bridgewater, um, you have to know something. There is one thing that we celebrate above everything else. Okay, there's a lot of things to celebrate. But there's one thing that we celebrate above everything else, and it's when people come face to face with God, recognize their need, and place their faith in Jesus Christ as the one and only Forgiver of our sins and leader of our lives. And so, for for five people to trust Jesus this wa- last week is just incredible. And I, for one, I'm super excited because two of them kind of happened through Vestal here, right? So we can celebrate that, right? Praise God. Um, that's been happening throughout our Bridgewater family in incredible ways. And one place in particular we've been seeing it happen and, and been seeing growth exponentially is our uh campus. Have any of you guys ever been down there before? Okay, you guys don't get out much. Apparently, we need to, <laughs> we need to work on that. Uh, the Tunkanic campus is a long ways away. I know I drove down there last night, and it's like an hour from where I live, which is another 10 minutes south of here, so it'd be a long drive. I get it, but... Some crazy things have been happening there. Since January of last year, okay, that church has grown by over 54%. Praise God. Amen, right? Now, here's the deal. They have good problems to have. Sometimes there's tough problems and sometimes there's good problems. One of the good problems that they have is that they only have three parking spaces and they are out of space in their building. Okay, can you, can you imagine that if we only had three parking spaces? That, that'd be tough. They are out of space in their building. In fact, they are going from two services to three services this fall. And that's awesome. We just praise God. They're growing exponentially. God is blessing. And we are one church in multiple locations. We get to be a part of that with them. Amen? You know? And what's happening there? God is—I I, believe—we're just beginning to experience here, and we're going to continue to experience here at Vestal. Okay, so there's some some neat issues that we have. They need more space. And our overseers, our Bridgewater overseers, have just decided to lead us in moving forward to spend about $850,000 to buy a new building, renovate a, not a new building, sorry, to buy a building, renovate that building, and give them space so that we can continue to see more and better followers of Jesus. Amen? That's exciting. Now, this, yeah, amen. I, I'm glad that you are excited, the one person back there. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. If you want to know more about that, when you leave today, go back to the Welcome Center. There's a little sheet. It looks like this. It has one picture on the front that shows kind of the parcel of land that they're buying and on the back of the building. But there's a bunch of information. We want you to know about that because come this fall, we're going to be talking more about it and we're going to be praying over kind of a, a fall giving campaign so that we can be a blessing to what God is already doing, Okay. Yep, you all nod like this with me. Nicely nicely done. Even if you're wearing a Dodgers hat, I'll take your your nodding. Okay? All right. So, those are some pretty incredible things. Now, today, here's here's what we're going to talk about. You can see kind of on the screen, we're going to be talking about one of our core values, this idea of saved people, served people, which makes sense because next week we're going to go out and do our Be the Church Sunday. But I want to talk with you a little bit about why we actually do that. Why do we take a Sunday, go out into the community, and more than that, why do we try to partner with, you know, with with nonprofits and people in the community that are doing good things? Why do we try to encourage service? Well, there's a couple of things that are going on in our world, a couple of things that are going on in our nation, a couple of things that are going on in our community that, that highlight the need... For service, but it might not be what you expect. Um, Have you ever noticed that 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 our nation is a little bit divided right now? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed any division? You seen any like uh, you know squabbling back back and forth? Uh, Maybe you haven't seen it. I don't know. Seen a little bit. I want to tell you a story um, that that kind of highlights my response uh, in light of some of the divisions, okay? Almost eight years ago, so August 31st, this this coming August 31st, my daughter will turn eight years old, okay? If you haven't met her, she is a ball of energy. If you want some of the energy, you are welcome to it. (laughs) She is amazing. She really is. She's incredible. And her entrance into this world was also incredible. August 31st of the year 2014, I was doing a wedding. In the middle of this wedding, my wife was sitting, you know, dead in the center, she's very pregnant, but we had two weeks to her scheduled C-section. We knew, excuse me, three weeks. I'm being corrected, we got, the, we got it right here. Three weeks to her scheduled C-section. Everything was going well. You know, Amanda was measuring kind of small with this child. Our boys were quite large, you know, and, uh, but but we knew we were having a girl. Everything seemed to be going well, but all of a sudden I could see her as I'm leading through the vows. She's sitting back there, and I could tell she was in immense pain. Now, if you want to try to figure out how to stay focused at that moment, you know, my, my best to you. I struggled. Anyway, got done with the wedding. We're sitting down to have a meal. I'm like, honey, we should, we should leave. She's like, no, we'll be fine. I'll get it calmed down. I'll get it calmed down. Well, eventually, we finally decided to leave, and I convinced her, we need to go to the hospital. I was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Thankfully, we decided to go. Because when we got there, we didn't even make it into the hospital before she was doubled over in pain. And we kind of knew something didn't seem to be right. We got in, they immediately got. Uh, you know, a, a heart monitor on her and a heart monitor over her, her stomach for the baby, and we I, I'm not kidding you. We weren't in there like three minutes, and they grabbed her. They told me you're we're gonna get you cleaned up. We're taking your wife. We don't have time to explain. There's no t- I mean they did what they call NASCAR. They grabbed her. They ran her in. Something was clearly wrong. Our daughter's heart rate. A baby's heart rate is usually about 120 in ut- utero or higher. Okay, her heart rate was was down around 30 or 40. Something was clearly wrong. So we go into the you know, we go in to the to the operating room. They get her in there first, get her all prepped. They finally get me gowned up, and you look all beautiful, you know, in those gowns and the gloves and all that fun stuff. And and I get in there, and the hairnets, and and as I'm walking in, the the surgeon is there, and he starts to talk to me. He says, "Okay, are we all ready to go? Because we got to go right now." And I I I stopped him, and I knew like something was really really wrong. With, with my wife and something was really, really wrong with my daughter and I stopped him and I asked him one question, okay? Do you, do you know what it is? Think about this. This is what I asked him. He said, now wait, are you a Democrat or a Republican? <laughs> because if you're going to deliver my daughter, I need to know. No. I didn't ask him anything about that. Because in the midst of, of, of a great need, and in the midst of, of, of a problem, all I was looking for was someone who knew what they were doing, and who would help. My daughter came out, she was born three pounds, I have to get it right, 15 ounces. She very quickly had to have a blood transfusion uh, A number of issues that are far too complicated for my simple mind. But thankfully, she, as you can tell today, is just fine. And it had nothing to do with this. It had everything to do with somebody who knew what they're doing, stepping up and helping And see, the reality is that we have a broken world. We have have a world that that is messed up and messy, and there are people all around us whose lives are crumbling. And and if we're a people who are going to fight amongst ourselves instead of embracing what Jesus has called us to, we're going to miss the opportunity. I wonder if we would slow down and look at Jesus' plan to actually change things because he gave us one. Do you know that? Jesus gave us a plan. He gave us clear instructions on what to do to change things. In fact, there's this passage in Mark chapter 10 that we're going to look at today that I think lays out a prescription and then Jesus gives us a model for what it can look like. It's incredible. Let me read to you a part of it, okay? This is kind of the second half of it. We'll get to all of it, but I want to read to you the, the second half of it. It starts in Mark chapter 10 and verse 42. It says this, Jesus called them together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Boy, that's still true today. Wouldn't you agree? People who are regarded as, as powerful and making a, a, a difference. People that we tend, to, you know, we, we tend to say, Wow, those are influencers. They tend to be people who, who let you know that they have power and authority. Wouldn't you agree? And yet, in reality, Jesus flips the script. Jesus says there's something completely different. And I get it. I get it that we live in a world where we want to stand out. We want to be recognized. We want to have power. We want to have authority. And I'm going to be honest with you. I can, I'm going to show you how you can have that, but not here, how you can have it in the kingdom of heaven today. Okay? And here's the good news. The kingdom of heaven is going to last a whole lot longer than this. So maybe we should choose wisely. Look at what he says. He says, you know that those who are rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their officials exercise authority over them. They, they point and they say, this is what should happen. And they make, show, make sure that it happens. And Jesus then flips the script by saying this, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Here's what he says. When it comes to the kingdom of God, everything is backwards. It's backwards to this world. It's it's not run to the front of the line. It's race to the back of the line and get back there and help somebody else get forward. That is the prescription. Verse 44, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then he gives us the model. Verse forty-five, he says this for even the son of man. And if that term is new to you, like if, if if you're new to the Bible or new to church, son of man is is especially in the Gospel of Mark that we're looking at here today. It's Jesus's kind of favorite term for himself, and he uses it. It's not it's not like those weirdos who like to speak in the third term you know, or in the third third person. I mean, like I'm the Aaron, or you know whatever. No, I'm Jesus is simply identifying with mankind, even though he is the king of heaven, he's saying, but I'm also here with you, amongst you, so Jesus is talking about himself, and he says, even the son of man did not come to be served, and if any, anybody ever deserved to show up here and be like, all hail, the king is here, it's Jesus, he said, nope, that's not what I did, I'm here to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, that's good news. We'll talk about that idea of ransom here in a little bit. But Jesus lays out for us something very important In the midst of a divided world, in a world that has all kinds of problems, what is the solution? Jesus gives us the solution. Here's here's what I think he's saying. He's saying our response to our world has been prescribed for us and it's been modeled for us. The response is to be one of service. The response is to be one of loving as he has loved, serving as he has served. Even if you don't believe me from this Mark passage, I'm going to show you one other passage a little bit later. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. But then he follows it up like this, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And keep in mind, one of the people that he said this to was Judas. And one of the people he loved like this was the one who would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. It would result in him going to the cross. And he says, love. Now I get it. I'm pretty easy to love. (laughs) Of course, it's my wife who would laugh. (laughs) No, not always. There's plenty of people that it's not easy to love and to serve. But the reality is Jesus has given us the solution, and here's what it is. Love others as I have loved you. Serve others as he has served us. So, we're going to back up in the text. I'm going to back up in Mark chapter 10 with you. And I want to walk through it, because in this, Jesus models the upside down, backwards, race to the back of of the line way to impact the world and in it I think he lays out for us two characteristics of people who will have a great impact on the world and I believe that the people of Bridgewater want to be like this okay so if you're taking notes I'm gonna walk you through and show you just two simple characteristics these are things that that we can model our lives around these are things that we can make like cornerstones of who we are okay So let's see what Jesus has to say, starting all the way back in verse 32. Here's what it says. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Now, why in the world is that? Well, here's why. Jesus had just been talking to them about what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He'd just been talking to them and having an interaction with a young man who was known to be very, very wealthy. And he said, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus laid out, you know, some of the Old Testament laws. And he said, okay, I've done all of those. And Jesus getting to his heart, he said, okay, one more thing you lack. Go and sell everything. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and start to follow me. And he went away very sad. What is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying we need to be destitute, live in huts, sell everything, not own anything, and give it all away to follow him? Well, not exactly, but what he is saying is that your heart must be completely his, and if something else, including your money, has your heart, eh, let's be honest, you're not really following Jesus. And so people started falling away, and they were scared Now, as they're coming back across the Jordan River and heading from Jericho into Jerusalem, Jesus spends more time interacting with them, and he starts to tell them about what is to come for him and people who would follow him. Look at what it says. So they're on their way, and they're afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside, and he told them what was going to happen. He takes the 12, the closest to him, and he says, here's what's about to happen. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. Now, if you could just pause right there for a minute, to the the Jewish people, that would have been a good thing. I'm sure they would have been excited. They would have been like, hey, this is great, cool, now you're going to announce yourself. You're king. You're going to overthrow Rome. This is great. This is awesome. But that's not at all what he said he was going to do. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They They will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. What? That doesn't sound so good. That doesn't sound like power. That doesn't sound like authority. That doesn't sound like solutions. That doesn't sound like Jesus fixing everything. But the reality is, it's an upside down, backwards, race to the back of the line kind of kingdom. That's what changes things. So he says, it's not going to go the way you thought it was going to go, things are going to get rough. They're going to hand him over to the Gentiles. In verse 34, they will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog him. They will kill him. And three days later, he will rise. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going to show you what it looks like to provide real, tangible solutions in a broken world. And I'm going to show you how you can actually be great in the kingdom of God. Well, here's the first characteristic. The greatest sacrifice. Those who are the greatest sacrifice for others. They sacrifice their time. They sacrifice their talent. They sacrifice their treasure. They sacrifice it. They lay it on the line for other people who, A, are in need of help, in need of solutions, in need of even knowing the truth of our good God. Now, I look at our world today, and there's a lot of talk about how we can fix things with authority and laws and rules and all kinds of stuff. And I will tell you, what if we took a different approach and we realized, wait a minute, Jesus doesn't ever really spend much time talking about overthrowing rulers. He spends a whole lot of time talking about changing our hearts. What if we focused on that? What if, what if the people of Bridgewater said, Huh? Man, God has gifted me. God has been good to me. Sure, I've faced hardships. Yeah, uh, I'm not ignoring those. I realize you have. But can we just take a minute and acknowledge that God's been good? What do you think? Has God been good to you? Has God given you good things? Has he entrusted good things to you? Then imagine with me what would happen if if we followed Jesus' lead where he says, okay, there's a broken world. There, there's a, a Roman regime that's doing all kinds of terrible things for these Israelite people. And rather than going in and just going with a sword and knocking them down, he goes and he says, here I am. And he lays his life down. I wonder what would happen in Vestal, in Tonkanic, in Montrose, in Halstead. I wonder what would happen with our online campus if we became known for sacrificing. There's this little story in Acts chapter 4 that I love. It's, it's just incredible the early church starts to grow things are going like gangbusters okay the holy spirit came down upon them 3000 people got saved on the first day you can read about this in in the book of acts okay it's it's incredible and then in acts chapter 3 you know a couple guys end up in jail and and they get set free from the jail and and people's minds are just blown it's great but you know what the most incredible part of That entire passage for me is, it starts in verse 32, and what happens is that the people started sacrificing and giving. In Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, the people started sacrificing and giving, and there was no one needy amongst them. And all of the watching world was like, Holy cow! There was no need for welfare, there was no need for for food pantries. Why? Because of this. Sacrificed. I don't know who's in your life right now. I don't know who you could sacrifice for, but I've watched a number of people do this and I have watched the impact. For example, I've watched my parents do this, I've watched my parents sacrifice for for me and my brother and it's made an impact. My, my parents are right now driving another trailer of uh, uh, of stuff out for me. They've driven three days. I think it's more about their grandchildren than me, but they've sacrificed their time and their money and j- just for us. I've watched people in, in our, our ministry in Kansas City. I watched a woman, her name's Jennifer Dickinson, about 12 years ago, she caught a vision for children knowing Jesus, and, and we started rallying together. At, when we first got there, almost 18 years ago, actually, it's been 18 years ago now, when we first got there, there were literally no children in that church, and Jennifer and her husband, Mike, and my wife and I, and a couple others, we started praying, we started working, and we got to, we, we, we completely revamped children's ministry. She gave of her time and of her money day in and day out. She was up there all the time and by the time we left we at certain times we were seeing over 80 children a week in there and children coming to know Jesus why because somebody gave up their time and their love and their care and they started watching children and saying you know what that child matters I'm going to pay attention that's what it takes to sacrifice. Now here's the reality, I, I, <laughs> I don't always want to sacrifice. Can anybody else agree with me? Nope, I'm the only one? Okay. I'll preach to myself for a minute. I don't want to sacrifice in the middle of the night when my child wants to climb into my bed. I want to sleep. <laughs> I don't want to sacrifice. You know, we've moved past the, the uh, needing to feed a child in the middle of the night stage. stage praise God. We've moved past the, the, the diapers. You know, p- praise God. But I don't always still, I don't always want to sacrifice for my family. I certainly don't always want to sacrifice in the community. There are times when I want there to be time for me. Do you ever feel that? And I get that, and I understand that there's a balance, but I'm learning to ask myself a question, and I want to put it in front of you. Here's the question. Does consumerism or compassion dominate my mind? Which is it? Do I, do I want what I want And do I want it now? Do I I have things, goals that I want to accomplish? Is that what's grabbing my mind? Is that what is dominating my mind? Getting what I want, getting to retirement, getting to the American dream, whatever it may be? Or is it compassion where I actually see people and I say, man, I can do something about that. Not just somebody else should do something about that. Jesus says the greatest of these, sacrifice. So I want to ask you, where are you holding too tightly to what God has given to you? Where are you clinging to things that God has already given to you and said, this is for you to manage, not own? Where might that be? The text goes on. And we find an interesting story. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of Jesus talking about sacrifice. Then two of his disciples show up and do what, honestly, a lot of us probably would have done. They show up and they're like, hey, um, we want to be really powerful and we want to, so would you, would you really listen to us and let us be the cool kids too? Look at what happens, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. By the way, they have another name in the scriptures. If you never heard it, their names are the Sons of Thunder. (laughs) They're called that later. It's an interesting uh, little piece of background. They came to Jesus and they said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. He's just talked about sacrificing. (laughs) Uh, This is fun. I love it. And this is one of the reasons why I love the scriptures because it's so real. It's so real to what life is like. Verse 36, Jesus says this, he's patient with them, he knows, he knows where this is going, but he says, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) Hey, go ahead, lay it on me. What do you want me to do for you? Then they replied like this, they said, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. Basically what they're saying is they're acknowledging culturally, if you were to go to like a party or a a place where people were being honored, whoever the honored guest was, they would sit in a certain place and then whoever was sitting to their right and to their left would have been the next two most important people there. They're saying, Jesus, we get it. You're kind of a big deal. But we want to be kind of a big deal right there with you. And I get it. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that desire to have an impact, but I think what comes out in the text is that they were looking out for themselves, not others. So Jesus reframes it gently. He takes them through, and he says this, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with? In other words, Jesus is recognizing, you know, in in that culture, if you, you had to drink down a cup, it signified something. I think of Jesus in the garden, and he says, when he's, when he's praying right before his death, he knows he is about to approach death. He was in this garden on the kind of the western side, uh, or, or excuse me, the eastern side of Jerusalem. We call it the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's there, and he's praying, and he's, he's, he's wrestling through what he knows is about to come, his imminent death and his suffering, and he says, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. I think this is what Jesus is talking about. Can you handle what I'm about to go through? Can you identify this idea of being baptized? Can you identify with what I'm about to go through? (laughs) How do you think they answered? Pretty brazen. They said, yep, we sure can. We've got this, Lord. So they said, yes, we can. And Jesus said to them, all right, you're right. You will drink the cup I drink. They would face death for their faith. They did. They didn't know it yet. They weren't expecting it. They didn't want to go through the pain, but they eventually did. You will face it, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. In other words, Jesus is again telling them, I'm going to lay my life down, and if you're going to follow me, you're going to lay your life down too. That's what he calls us to, the greatest sacrifice for others. Let me show you the second characteristic. The second characteristic of those who would have a great impact and would be a part of the solution in our world is this, the greatest serve others. I know that sounds very similar. In a lot of ways, it is. But there's a clear distinction Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian here today, you've got to know, you're you're called to lay your life down for others. And you're also called to serve others. To serve people in your schools. To serve people in your neighborhoods who you may not like. Or they may not like you. Look at what Jesus says. Pick it up in verse 41. We find that, that Some of the other disciples were listening when James and John came up and asked, and they got upset, I mean rightfully so. They became indignant. They were upset about this. You know, they got upset with James and John. So then Jesus calls them together and he has a talk with them. He rallies them. He says, okay, team, come on, let's have a talk here real quick. Verse 42 tells us he called them together and he said, you know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Back to James and John. You guys want to be powerful. And now all the rest of you ten, you saw them and you're mad at them and you want to be powerful like they want to be powerful. I'm going to tell you how you can be powerful and have an impact and actually bring solutions and impact this world. It's very simple. Verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. It's that simple. The following two verses wrap it up. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You want to have an impact? The question is not, listen, the issue is not going to be resolved by us fighting or arguing over who's right, who's wrong, which side is right and wrong. The only way we are legitimately going to provide solutions is if we become servants. Ooh. But it's a whole lot easier to point fingers and go, ah, it's the Democrats' fault. Ah, it's the Republicans' fault. Ah, it's their fault. Ah, it's their fault. It's a whole lot easier to do that. Instead, we follow Jesus who did. First he said this and then he carried it out. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does that mean? If I could give you the gospel in just a a, a quick minute, it would be wrapped up in this word ransom because the reality is... That before I knew Jesus, sin had gripped me, and it was taking me down a path far away from God. And I wonder if you're here today, and you feel like something is just ripping you away, pulling you away, and little by little destroying your life. The only answer is going to be found in our ransom. He is Jesus. He buys us back. He paid the penalty for your sin. Trust him. Stop. Turning to people and drugs and alcohol and money and wealth and, and accomplishments, turn to Jesus. He's our ransom. The greatest, they serve. This is why we say saved people serve people. I honestly believe that if Jesus has gripped your heart, it's going to change the way you treat other people. If it hasn't changed, if if Jesus coming in and you putting your faith in Jesus has not changed your approach, even to unlovely people, if it has not changed your approach in your neighborhood, if it has not changed your approach with your wife or your husband, the way that you treat and serve in your home, even those of you teenagers in the room, if it has not changed your approach in your schools or the way you approach your chores or the way you serve in your church, you've got to wrestle with the question, do I know Jesus? Because the Jesus of the scriptures came to serve. So we go and serve over and over and over again. Even when, especially when, no one notices. You see, it's a race to the back. It's a race to the back of the line The world will tell you it's a race to climb and claw the ladder. We even have a term, climb the ladder." And Jesus says, "Nope, we're playing shoots and ladders. Get on that chute and go to the back and begin to serve. I told you about that early church in Acts chapter four. I want to read you those verses and close with this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And I'm telling you, the watching world started getting saved in droves because they were different. I want to be a part of a community like that. And it only happens when we sacrifice and when we serve. Now, I asked you a question earlier that I'm trying to teach myself to ask, and I'm going to leave you with a second one. The first question was, does consumerism or compassion dominate your mind? Let me ask you this one. Does consumerism or compassion dominate your schedule, your time? We are called to serve. Bridgewater, when we gather next, on the 31st, we will be able to be a part of over 2,000 hours of community service, not just to get out of some trouble. <laughs> well, maybe maybe some of that. I don't know. But 2,000 hours of impacting our communities. I want to be a part of that. How about you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and the clarity and the guidance in it. Thank you, God, that You've loved us and served us like this. And I confess, God, that I don't, I don't always want to sacrifice like that. I, I confess that I need to be changed from the inside out. I need to follow your example. Father, I pray that you would begin that good work in me and continue to change me. But I, I pray for us as a community. That we would be known here in Vestal, in Tuncanic, in, in Halstead, in Montrose, God, in Conklin. That we would be known, known for being servants. That the world might even want to take us for granted and, and, and use us. But God, I believe you will use it. And the watching world will see Jesus through us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.